Hi there, my name is Matt Furness and this is The Culture Hack, a video and podcast series that captures experiences and life lessons from those who know culture best. The goal? To help you to understand, design and change your company culture. Thanks for tuning in. Hi everybody and welcome to The Culture Hack. It's Matt Furness here from Click Culture Consulting, and I'm joined today by Donna Kennedy. Donna's been the head of HR at DSA Electrical, HR director at Davies Group, and the director of people and culture for X4 Group. With all that experience, I'm really looking forward to talking to her about all things company culture. So welcome, Donna. Thanks for coming on. Thank you very much for having me. So we'll be talking today about your experience shaping shaping company culture, including the challenges you faced, what you did about them and the lessons that you learned. But just to start, it would be great to hear a little bit more about your story and your background. So before this call, I know you talked you talked to me about how you haven't always worked worked in HR. So perhaps we start there. Yeah, definitely. So I had a very non-traditional route into HR. Uh, when I was at school, I was very interested in science and anatomy and physiology. And um, I went into retail when I first left school, but that passion for all things kind of well-being related um, really stayed with me. And so whilst I was working in retail, I went off to college and uh, did my first course in anatomy, physiology and massage. Um, was really passionate about aromatherapy, like I say, all things well-being related um, and continued my studies whilst working. So I was working as a credit controller um, and then eventually opened my own salon where I did alternative therapies from Indian head massage, uh, hot stones, hoppy ear candles, all sorts of lovely things. Um, And absolutely loved my career doing that. It was just wonderful, making people feel really happy all day and uh, and seeing them leave with a big smile on their face. Um, Unfortunately, when I was 21, I was diagnosed with ankylosing spondylitis, um, which is a form of inflammatory arthritis. And um, made working quite challenging. Um, I managed to continue to work as a therapist for about six years after my diagnosis um, and got to the stage where I just I was in too much pain. I was uh, unable to walk after doing treatments, um, walked with a walking stick or crutches for a long time and you know was finding it really really challenging. So I had my first child when I was 27 um, and I got the opportunity to go into a, a role as an HR coordinator. So a friend was looking for someone to join their business in domiciliary healthcare, which was a really interesting uh, first industry to go into um, in in HR. And I, I sort of thought, why not? You know, I've, I've uh, managed people. I had people working for me in my salon. Um, I thought some of those skills actually around owning a small business could be really well transferred into the HR space. So I took myself off to evening college, uh, which was an amazing experience. Did my certificate in personnel practice. Um, whilst at college, found out I was pregnant with my second, which was a little bit of a surprise. Um, and so I could have put that on hold and, and done it later on. But I thought, you know what, I'm going to crack on with this. I'm going to um, I'm going to double it up. So I went off to evening college twice a week and managed to pass the exams and, and gain my qualification before second baby arrived, um, which was, as you can imagine, pretty busy. 
I was actually studying at that time. I, I had planned to go into um, teaching and become a physics teacher. So I'd been doing uh, an open university degree at the same time as, as being at college. Um, and as that time progressed, I went and helped out in my kids' schools as they joined school and realised that actually the teaching profession is not not for me. Um, everybody that I met hated it. So I decided, you know what, I'm going to stay in HR. So as my career progressed, got a new job, carried on with my studies, went through to do my level five employment law, then the um, advanced diploma, CIPD, um, and then on to do my master's, um, all, all whilst working for a wonderful company, DSA Electrical, as you mentioned earlier, um, where as a disabled employee, I had the best support and, and um, they really helped, you know, at times when I couldn't walk at all, I would be laid in my bed with a laptop writing policies and processes. I was responsible for health and safety, electrical compliance and HR in that company, as well as training. Um, so to have that supportive um, relationship with my employer absolutely enabled me to achieve all of the things that I have achieved. Um, and like I say, you know, achieved my master's uh, qualified with that in 2018. Um, and I've really never looked back. It was just it was wonderful. And I, I you know, thank them still to this day for the support that I had. Um, so, yeah, then went off, off to Davies, which again was an amazing experience and um, really allowed me to continue in the regulated space. So all of my uh, previous experiences have been in regulated industries, which has been really, really interesting. You can probably tell I'm a little bit of a geek and a nerd, love learning. So the ability to learn about a new piece of regulation and how that impacts the work and how that impacts the culture is definitely something that I've always been really passionate about. So um, that's brought me to where I am today and uh, Director of People and Culture at X4 Group, which has again been an amazing journey, really um, helped to shape the culture there and put in place some really great initiatives to to help them develop and, and be able to scale in the future. Awesome, sounds good. There's a lot of talk at the moment about squiggly careers and I would definitely describe your your career as a squiggly one from massage and aromatherapy through to through to a HR director and director of people of culture um, and it sounds like there's some amazing experiences in there and um, I'm sure that those help you hugely in, in your role and in, in shaping culture. So it'd be great to hear a little bit more about the times that you've spent as a, as a HR leader, so in your past few roles. Um, and it would be good to hear about the, the types of cultural challenges that you've, you've, you've had to face, especially the more stubborn ones, perhaps. Yeah. Definitely. So I mentioned some of the industries I've worked in. So domiciliary, sorry, domiciliary healthcare, construction, insurance, um, recruitment, and actually, and quite a number of these industries have had um, what in the in the past you would refer to as perhaps a toxic masculinity type culture. Um, you know, from years and decades past, and and actually that can make it quite challenging to to attract talent to come into that industry or even to understand what it's all about. Um, so that's definitely been some challenging cultures to work in and work alongside. And, you know, most of those industries or all of them, in fact, really wanting to change, really wanting to develop and move away from that old you know, version of, of what those industries are perceived as. Um, and there's some great initiatives out there like the Lloyd's London Market um, Cultural Development Initiative. But there have been those challenges in the past around you know, sexual harassment, discrimination, those sorts of areas, and they tend to still not be very diverse as um, uh, as industries. So there's lots of work still to be done in that area. Mm, I can imagine. Could you tell me more about 
um, the types of things that were going on in that toxic masculine culture, just to get a better view of the types of things were actually happening on a daily basis in the culture that you were trying to sort of wipe out. Yeah, sure. So probably less so in the businesses I've worked in, fortunately, that, that you've seen those things, but certainly within the industry um, at large. Um, mm. For example, in the insurance industry, there was a real problem with um, the kind of old fashioned, very sexist, there's misogynistic kind of behaviours that were going on. Um, and there has been lots of work for, in particularly from Lloyds of London and, and, and the London market as a whole to try and stamp that out and, and develop there. Now, I was very fortunate to work in, in a business that definitely bucked the trend in most instances around how the culture was perceived and how it was experienced internally. But you can't rest on your laurels because it only takes, you know, for one person to join a business and to create a negative um, toxic culture. And you can ha obviously have subcultures that are diff very different to the main culture that you'd experience in a business. And so you have to be constantly vigilant and develop developing leaders, basically, to be able to recognise those sorts of behaviours that could cause problems. Um, obviously, there's there's so many core impacts for businesses around you know lack of motivation poor engaged or poor engagement from employees um and poor performance that really impact the bottom line which is why it's so important for culture to be taken seriously and for those things to be um looked at and and taken seriously by the whole business not just hr yeah so um so there's a few things i hear in terms of the challenges so because of the culture that you face you found it harder to attract talent and then that had it also had an impact on uh, people's engagement, their performance, the bottom line, right? So absolutely, it would be good to understand a little bit more about um, if that's the culture you were trying to move away from. What what was the culture that you were trying to move to? So, in particular, what what perhaps are three three adjectives to describe the type of cultures that you were trying to move towards? Yeah, sure. So. Particularly in my current role, um, the the culture and the kind of objectives that I would describe are things like accountability. So, which sounds a bit odd in the in the context of culture, but developing a culture of accountability where people really understand what's expected of them and are empowered to be able to do their jobs well, but within that context and framework of of the right values based behaviours. Mm. Um, also, a, a really inspiring culture, because like I say, some of these businesses and these industries have had, you know, a poor perception. They don't have kids growing up and thinking, oh, I want to I want to go into insurance or I want to go into mm. the construction industry. And, you know, and particularly from a diversity perspective. So more women coming into those industries that have traditionally been male dominated. Um, so the ability to make them you know seem more inspiring and more inclusive for sure they're, they're, they're probably the the things that I was aiming for is that accountability the ability to inspire and then also to be really inclusive sounds good and in terms of that inclusive um point then that will help in particular with the with all three of those objectives I think that you spoke about in terms of attracting more diverse talent um as opposed to potentially blokey blokes um yeah. uh uh the the how people feel and their ability to feel engaged and perform well and then obviously that'll have an impact on the, on the bottom line we i'm not going to repeat the research which shows us time and time again that diverse and inclusive teams outperform uh those that are less diverse and inclusive 
so so with all these benefits um it it sounds like a, a no-brainer for leaders right to, to invest in culture but what's been your experience in terms of um how how much leaders invest in culture in times of both their time and their budget and it'd be good to understand too what stops them from perhaps investing more time and resources than they do at the moment sure so i think often the things that stop people are leadership capability and knowledge and often it's around about self-awareness that there's a real lack of that i think from many many senior leaders and different businesses um mm. and when you don't know and you don't really understand a topic it can be really easy to shy away from it entirely and almost to you know bury your head in the sand a little bit or to assume because you're a senior leader and you experience a workplace culture very very differently to to that of your of maybe people at, you know on the front line in your business mm. there's that sometimes a tendency to just imagine that well everything's okay so we don't need to uh, yeah. And I have seen that time and time again, that there's this this perception that, well, no, everything's great and we've got our values and people live our values and, you know, people are respectful. But that's because you're experiencing it at the top of your business. And of course, people are respectful to you. You are, you know, a senior leader, you're a CEO, you're a you're an important person in that business. So you're mm -hmm. absolutely going to experience the workplace culture completely differently to your standard person, you know, who's joined the business recently, for example. Yeah, I, I totally hear that. And I and I spotted that myself, I think. So so there's two things I'm hearing. So the first thing is an awareness piece, and the second thing is a is a comfort piece around feeling comfortable. So in terms of that awareness piece, I've I've definitely seen that in some of the clients I've worked with where even the small things, so on Microsoft Teams, for example, if you send somebody a message and you ask for something, but if you're junior, you won't get a reply for days. Whereas if you're a senior leader, you will get a reply almost instant instantaneously right and so the senior leader doesn't realize what it actually is every day actually like if you're if you're not in you know the higher echelons of the business and then I, I also hear you in terms of the the leadership capability and confidence piece I think one of the main um psychological um things that intrinsically motivates us is feeling good about ourselves and feeling competent right now, when we're dealing with something that we where there's no simple answers and perhaps we feel less confident, we therefore shy away from it because we don't feel good about ourselves as leaders. Whereas if we're sharing our technical expertise on whatever it may be, if you're an engineer, engineering, that feels good, right? So you'll naturally invest more time in it. So I, t I totally hear those two things. Yeah. Are there any other barriers that you think stop leaders from investing more in their culture? Yeah, I think it's so intangible. It, it can be really challenging to demonstrate the return on investment for these kind of projects. And so because it's not tangible and because there isn't any clear cut answer that mm. if you do this, your business will earn this or it will have this impact. Um, it becomes, again, a thing that maybe is focused on during high times and when you know money isn't an, an issue so much. But then it will tend to be the thing that might get dropped during yeah. those more challenging times because it is seen as something that's a bit fluffy and a little bit you know soft or intangible and so therefore maybe something that's easy to drop but we yeah. we both know that that can be genuinely challenging you know in terms of your reputation for your business and all of the other you know um positive motivators around doing those kind of activities for staff and when you when they see it 
gone, it, it can then send a very powerful message that perhaps isn't one you'd want to send to your staff. 100%. It, sound, it sounds like it sends the signal of this actually isn't as important as we say it is, um, because when things get tough, we drop it. Um, so I, I totally hear that. Um, so when leaders have invested in culture and um, you've, you've tried to face into those challenges that you mentioned around to toxic masculine culture, on accountability, one that feels more inspiring and inclusive. What did you actually do day to day in your team to address those challenges and to create that culture change? Sure. So there's been a few different areas that I focused on with my businesses that I've worked with. Um, thinking about accountability, for example, and, and really empowering people to understand what's expected of them. Um, is is an important one. So there's been some probably quite boring um, things that I've put in place in businesses that that help with that. Things like um, accountability and responsibility matrices. So you know those really important things don't actually fall through the gaps. People genuinely know who is responsible and who should be driving those forward. Objectives and key results. I know some businesses love them, some businesses not so much, but actually if you can't measure what you're trying to do and you don't have real clarity on what it is you're trying to achieve, the outcomes, then you're never really going to know if you if what you're doing is working and you're never really going to be able to get people behind it because you do need to have that really clear vision. So I think something that I found really effective is really defining what is our vision and our mission, whether that's at the whole business level or down into the, the the divisions or the subdivisions, because every person in the business for a strong culture to be created, they need to feel like, well, they need to understand what it is that their role is to play in achieving those objectives. Um, and also be inspired by that vision. You know, most businesses should be able to find something, a vision or something that they're doing um, through throughout their daily activities that people can feel really good about, whether it's, you know, improving outcomes for clients at the end of the day or making a more sustainable world, whatever the case may be. Feeling like you're part of something is really, really important. So I've done a lot of work around how you how you do the internal communications, how you define that, how you reinforce all of those things. Um, I think that's been really, really important. Um, looking then at things like diversity, equity, inclusion and belonging and doing that really well and taking your time and being really thoughtful about what you're trying to achieve with those kind of programs has been um, a real passion of mine and something that I'm really proud of. I mentioned earlier in, in the uh, interview that I've got a disability. It's an invisible disability, but it has massively shaped my life. Um, and as I mentioned, when I worked for DSA Electrical and they were so amazing with the support that I received. And um, through that process, I learned about access to work and the other support that you can get here in the UK if you have a disability or need support um, to be able to, to continue to work. And that's really shaped how I see the working environment and how I experience the workplace and made me really passionate about wanting to create equitable workplaces where everybody can be successful, no matter what your background is, whether you come from a mm -hmm. lower socioeconomic background or you have a disability or long term health condition. If we can create that knowledge and awareness and understanding um, mm -hmm. of our leaders and our managers primarily because they have that ability to 
have such a massive impact on people's lives and how they experience the workplace and then how successful they are. Um, you know, it is Disability Awareness Month and, dis you know, I'm disabled and proud. Um, fortunately, I'm on an amazing biological therapy now. So if you meet me, you wouldn't notice that I've, that I've had a severe, you know, mobility issues in the past. I look like mm. a, you know, normal person if you if, if that's everything and it's mm. but that has really shaped my experiences and it's definitely made me who I am today and and so being able to do the same thing for people in your business and other businesses I know the outcome of that you get such loyalty um, you get such great performance and and um, satisfaction from those individuals mm. that you just you know you, you won't get if you're not creating those workplaces so for me it's about education and enlightening people and obviously not just disability the whole range of diversity um basically working towards making people feel that they belong and that they can be mm. themselves but also that it's okay not to know everything and not to be an expert and like we said earlier about shying away from things we don't know about and burying our heads in the sand that's often what happens with the whole diversity spectrum and so mm -hmm. trying to promote a a culture of continual development and learning and people to take control of their own learning has been really important as well so another great um project that i've worked on is a competency framework which sounds completely boring i know um i often not, think not I to think me it doesn't <laughs> it <laughs> like, sounds interesting it to me yeah something more exciting um, but being really clear about the different aspects of a role, whether you're an individual contributor or a people manager, but really clearly defining, you know, what is the expectation at the different levels as you progress through your career yeah. and how can you develop yeah. your own skills and take ownership of your own development? Because we, you know, we, we own our own lives. We own our own personal and professional mm -hmm. development, ultimately wanting to create cultures where people are hungry to develop themselves and okay with not knowing everything and being you know very comfortable with with getting out there and and looking for new experiences and and new perspectives i think is really really important as well so yeah those kind of projects are the things that i really loved doing that i think truly impact the culture in businesses awesome thank you for sharing and i think there's a couple of things that stand out for me so the first thing is I like that you started with what you described as the boring stuff, because I think there's a myth and we'll talk about myths shortly, but I think there's a myth around company culture that it that it's all, you know, fruit bowls and um, and table football tables and company away days. But actually, culture is so strongly affected by some of that sort of boring stuff, right? It's the, okay. the structures, the matrices, because if that stuff's not right, that'll have a knock-on effect on how people communicate, how people behave, right? So yeah. so, I, so I love that. Um, in terms of the, um, the diversity, equity and inclusion stuff that you're saying, you mentioned having an invisible disability and being really supported. I, I want to um, dive a little bit deeper into that because I know that a lot of businesses are placing a lot more emphasis on making sure people with disabilities and people with diverse needs feel included and can bring their best selves to work. So it'd be good to understand from your perspective, not necessarily as a HR director, but somebody with an invisible disability, what are the things that have helped you to feel like you belong and have helped you to perform at your best? Definitely. So going back to my DSA electoral days an awfully long time ago now um I think yeah probably a good 10 years ago and I think 
this was pre obviously way pre pandemic and way pre hybrid working being very much the norm and being able to work in a flexible way and work from home when this was absolutely not common practice you know we had a small local office um there was about 75 people in the, in the business in its entirety but people didn't work from home back then it wasn't a thing um, and and having managers who were open to actually asking me what do you need what what do you need to be supported um and that is such a such a valuable thing for anybody you know regardless of your health condition or disability but actually to just understand someone as an individual and what they need to be successful in their roles and that is always what you know I lead with any leadership development training course treat people with dignity and respect and ask them what they need because they might not know and they might not be able to define that straight away but opening up the conversation with them and giving them the space to think about you know what could help and then being open to trying things there's nothing to say that something you put in place whether it's a reasonable adjustment or whether it's just you know tweaking how people turn up and, and actually do their roles there's nothing to say it has to be forever it could be a really short-term thing that would just enable someone to get through a sticky patch um, or whether it's a flare-up of a condition or you know a challenging time they're going through at home with someone that they're caring for there are so many things that affect our day-to-day lives and we're all human beings and as much as you know back in the day it was like leave your personal life at home come to work be professional you mentioned vulnerability and I think that's so so valuable and it's it's definitely something that I try and teach all of my leaders is around don't be afraid to say I don't know the answer to that or I need to go away and, and you know we need to go away and look at this more you don't have to have all the answers and I think people will appreciate knowing that actually you don't know everything and it's okay not to know everything and that in turn empowers people to feel safe to say well I don't actually know and how can we work through this mm, um mm. I think that kind of coaching approach you know not having all the answers but helping people find their own it is something that I've always taken through my whole HR career for sure it was the very first piece of research I did was you know implementing a coaching led approach and I think if we have that in mind with all of our interactions with our people in in everyday life you'll get so much more out of them so yeah it's Mm, about mm. curiosity how can I help you and and genuinely being then open to listen and to explore the options it's almost that that shift in leadership that we're seeing a lot of talk about at the moment from command and control directing through to some of the words I've heard you use around vulnerability coaching it's almost that servant leadership mindset of going what do you need from me in order to be your best as opposed to telling people what what to do fantastic thank you so so just moving on then um I'm curious to hear your reflections on what you've learned from the last uh, however long you've been a HR leader for um, and I guess the question for you would be what do you wish you'd known I don't know, let's say 10 years ago about all things culture and perhaps if you think about you know some of the mistakes that you've made um, as, a, as a HR leader that you, you'd you'd want to share with other people Sure. Um, Gosh, I've learned so much. and I I think I've been in HR leadership positions probably about 12 years now, so it has been a while. Um, I think there's from a personal level and then a business level, I think that I've certainly learned that there's been times where I've completely put my work before everything else. That's including my health, my family, um, 
bless my my lovely husband who's been so so supportive for me over the years he basically was a, a single dad for a long time whilst i was working and, and doing all of the studying um and you can share this podcast with him now because <laughs> you know I'll you're you're picking recording. him up yeah. <laughs> He'll be delighted. Um, but it, it, that made such a big difference. But there was definitely times where I completely put my work first. Mm. And I really regretted it afterwards. I think the pandemic being a, a prime example, I was probably working, I think, 16 or 17 hour days. Wow. Really, you know, struggling working from home because with my condition, being out and about a lot actually really helps me being more mobile and, and keeping it very active. Um, so going then to working solely from home actually really aggravated my condition. And then I was working these really long days and basically didn't, my poor children didn't have any homeschooling whatsoever during the whole time. Um, and I regretted that afterwards because, yeah, for various reasons, but you you do kind of realise that you do have to put yourself first. You have to be able to, um, I think my my manager at DSA Electrical always said you can't pour from an from a from an empty jug so you have to put things into your own well-being and that of your team as well to make sure that they are able to cope with the challenges because in HR every HR person listening to this will understand it can be incredibly draining very very you know at, at times quite traumatic you know working and supporting other people and the past few years has definitely seen that so I think definitely a learning for me has been take perspective um I've had some coaching recently which really helped me with that you know putting things into perspective and thinking about what's really important to you and making sure that your values align with what you're doing because if they don't you know you need to ask yourself some really deep questions and I think the same goes probably for businesses that there hasn't been always enough um focus on employee well-being um in terms of making sure that they are capable and in an agile way can flex to the business needs because actually if everybody's trying to work you know working hard and not smart perhaps and working at a million miles an hour and haven't got the thinking space or space to reflect um, on what they're doing and how they can be better you're actually never going to get a high performing workplace or you know a, a high performing business so I think that yeah my biggest learn I think I would say is to make sure that you are building time in for reflection and making sure that people are taking care of their own well-being and that then you as a business are taking care of them because that is how you'll unlock that really high performance and have really strongly performing businesses with really motivated staff weirdly sometimes it's doing a little bit less will help you to do a lot more I think yeah, it's that stuff around sharpening the saw, isn't it? Going away, reflecting, take, taking time for yourself, and that will allow you to bring your best as a as a HR leader, it sounds like. Um, yeah, and I'm sure definitely. that the challenge that you just described will resonate with lots of senior HR leaders who aren't always putting themselves first because they are in a responsibility of, they're in a position of responsibility, right? Um, so yeah. it's 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 tricky. What about... Um, uh one one big myth about company culture that you'd like debunked or something that you've learned that you think you'd really like to share definitely so i was i was reflecting on on these myths and there's so many um so i kind of combined two um the first one being that culture is not an hr owned project um and also that it's a soft fluffy thing that doesn't impact the bottom line I think that those are myths that 
people in businesses will often just throw it over to HR to own the culture and, mm. you know, to or to be flown in to deal with a toxic culture if there is one that needs dealing with. And then and then kind of stepping away. But actually, it's the most important people when it comes to setting a, a positive culture is the senior leadership, because every leader in the business looks looks up to see how I should be behaving, you know, what how should we be treating people? And if those behaviours or those things that we're saying are important as a business aren't demonstrated by the very top people in any business, it's never going to cascade down. It's It can't be an employee up or a one um, department trying to work in solo um, or in a silo to to impact this thing that actually is experienced every day by every single person in the business whether you like it or not and whether it's a really positive culture or an incredibly um, destructive culture mm. so yeah I think that's the biggest myth that that is this perception that it's a soft thing that doesn't impact the bottom line and, and should be owned by HR so it's almost moving away from that abdication of responsibility from senior leaders and going, this is a HR problem, it's not an us problem. Yeah. Um, how do you put the responsibility back on them as a, as a HR leader? Gosh, well, I, I think, you know, those boring things, again, can be really useful to actually really clearly define. Even when it comes to hiring, to statements of responsibility, if you're in the, you know, if you're in the senior manager and certificate regime, you will know about those things. Um, but having those things really clearly laid out actually is part of your responsibility. EDI or CSR or ESG initiatives, they should be board owned. They shouldn't be owned by the HR department. Bigger businesses may have, you know, a separate ESG department that will have the ownership, but actually it should be owned by the main board and it should be something that they are measured against and that their own personal performance is actually measured against. They should mm. be living those behaviours. They should be doing the things that we're asking of other people to do so that they can really lead by example basically that's how you inspire people it's not by telling them what to do it's by showing them the way and then inviting them on the journey and and being that inspiration I think that's that's how you kind of get it done is, is yeah. yeah it's taking it away from that it's HR's responsibility so it sounds almost like an education piece for senior leaders and and it might not be an overnight thing, but gradually educating them that everything they do and everything they say is creating culture. And there's only so much power you have as a HR leader, actually. And although your job's important, you can't rectify a senior leader who's making some really toxic, toxic errors. Right. Um, Absolutely. So just just before we finish, then I'd love to um, finish on what, what we've called this this podcast and video series, which is Culture Hack. So what's a culture hack that you love? So something that takes uh, little effort but can have a big impact? Um, I think the biggest, biggest impact on every person in the business would be, it's so simple, but would be if every person who manages somebody takes the time to get to know that person and ask them, what do you need from me to help you be more successful in your role? And then genuinely listens. So that active listening skill, which is something that everybody can develop and hone and practice, practice, practice. But that one question, what do you need from me? How can I be a better manager for you? Um, 
when you first ask that if your team haven't ever been used to it can can be actually quite scary for the team member but and if that is a really different approach to you know what you normally manage like um is explaining that i am taking a bit of a different approach here i, I really want to learn more i want to get feedback and i want to really support you with what you need to be as successful as you can be and to you know reach your aspirations and i think that that one question is so powerful and can just totally change how people feel about their work and 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 actually get people to uncover what they need um through reflection uh, so it's zero cost um, but really high impact mm. Mm. and i can imagine the more consistently that's done both in terms of if all managers and leaders did it and in terms of consistency of asking that question every oh you know every so often it's not on you you just ask it once and I imagine the consistency of those things when combined can create this really powerful culture of care and um, uh, almost like so we're, we're here to support you so that you can be your best self at work. Right. Yeah. And also it creates a culture of innovation as well, because when you know the first time you get asked as a as an individual you might think oh I, I don't know what to say and I definitely don't want to insult the person by telling them you know I need more of this or I need more of that. But like you say, if it come, becomes a habit, people will then be thinking, actually, what can I do differently or what do I need to do, you know, my job better? And if everybody is thinking like that and coming up with, you know, and again, it doesn't have to be costly solutions. It can just be little tweaks to, to how they're working. Mm. Imagine the cumulative effect of all of those people just doing that little bit better at work, what that impact could be on the bottom line. It, it could be absolutely huge. Um, so, yeah, it's, it is just developing all of those positive cultural um, impacts just from one little question, but asked, you know, regularly and repeatedly and then genuinely listened to. I, I hear you. And, and what I love about that is it's free. You you don't need to invest a huge amount of time or money into it, and it will it will have a tangible impact on your culture. So, just to close, I, I, we could talk about this all day. I'm conscious of your time, conscious of the listeners' time. Do you have any final reflections on the conversation before we before we close? No, I've really enjoyed the conversation. It's been brilliant, and I think that taking away you know those kind of coaching led approaches to how we can explore and improve our cultures um is is really important i think that those challenges every person listening is probably going to recognize that um and yeah hopefully this has been helpful for for your listeners absolutely i hope so too and i'm sure it has been so just to close i want to say a huge thank you to you for sharing your time and your experiences uh thank you donna uh, and I want to say to those those of you tuning in, if you like this episode, please do listen to our other episodes for more first-hand experiences and lessons on all things culture. Otherwise, that's all for today. Thanks for tuning in and go well, everybody.